Well, good morning. As I was sharing with Gil earlier, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how God does things. Uh, we talked about setting up a schedule a while back, and, and I was scheduled to be up here this morning. And I was really excited. I thought, this is great. I've got this message that, uh, you know, I really wanted to do. I've been doing a study uh, for the last few weeks, and I thought, this is great. I can put this together and share it. And uh, around Wednesday, uh, God started dealing my heart, and he said, no, you're not doing that one. <laughs> yeah, I do, you know, although I will say this. He didn't wait until Saturday night, so it was, it was good. Uh, so there's a praise. Maybe I'm getting better at listening as I'm going along. Uh, don't ask my wife that, but... Maybe I'm getting a little better. But uh, so Wednesday night, yeah, God started uh, working with me on this. So uh, prayerfully, this will all come together. He's already shown a lot of confirmation this morning between the lessons, between the music, between conversations I've had with people. Uh, even your share in Psalm 91 uh, was straight out of here. So, so this is perfect. We're, we're right on target. Um, love how God does that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, or it should be on the screen, if you can turn to Psalm 16, verse 7. It says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. How many would agree that right now, if you look at what's going on around you, we seem to be going through some night seasons? I know a lot of our personal lives, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of changes. Um, in our country, you know, if you look at the news, there, there's a lot of chaos. Uh, I think we are very much in the night seasons right now. And we want to take a look at that because... As Christians, do we have to stay in the night seasons? No. We go through them, but we don't have to stay in them. So we're going to look at night and day. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about the thoughts, about the mindset, about the circumstances, and about the reality of what it means to actually be a follower of Christ. Now, if you look up the word night uh, in not only this passage, but also throughout uh, Scripture, when I started this study, I was amazed at how many verses come up that deal with light and darkness night and day. I mean, I know it's a pretty common theme in Scripture, but to actually go through, if you've never done a study on it, I encourage you to take the time because you will be amazed at the amount of Scriptures you find Old and New Testament to deal with this concept. So if you look up the word night, the Hebrew word, it means literally night, but it's also the same word used for adversity. And again, I think that, that we are in the night season. So when we say that in Psalm 16, 7, he says, My reins, which is a King James way of saying my heart, also instructs me in the night seasons. It's during those times of adversity is one of the things that's referring to. Now, similarly, as we go through here, you'll see passages that deal with darkness. And I looked that up, and the literal meaning of it is also night or that blind feeling that you have when you go out into a really dark place, when you've been in a bright place. Metaphorically, in the Hebrew, the darkness also speaks of ignorance. And that's where it really pertains to us as Christians because we get caught up a lot of times in worldly thinking. And we're going to take a look at this as we go along. Now, to make sure we're clear on the, on the beginning of this, for those Bible scholars out here, uh, I do not hold with an allegorical interpretation of Scripture. How many knows that we, we do with a literal interpretation here? If God's Word says it, that's what God meant to say. Um, for thousands of, well, at least hundreds of years, probably over a thousand years, uh, the church taught an allegorical interpretation of Scripture, which basically just means that it says one thing, but what it really means is something else. And we can interpret all these 15,000 things into each passage of Scripture. And, and it lends a lot of room to make up stuff out of your imagination. And so that's why we don't hold with that, because God doesn't need help in saying what he said. He said it. 
we maybe need help in understanding it, but he doesn't need help in saying it. So we don't have to add to it. So as I go through here, understand I'm not taking any of this in an allegorical sense. I'm not trying to build something into it that's not there. That's why I want to start with the definitions of the word. Now, as Christians, we deal with things spiritually, but we also, as people, live in a world, so we deal with things in the natural. And you have to look at both pieces because we're made up of both parts. So you can't just address one without addressing the other. Psychologically, there's just something about darkness that over time oppresses us and makes us feel cut off and alone, correct? You know, I've, I've met a gentleman one time on a trip to Dallas, and he was a native of Alaska, had been born and raised there. And I asked him about it. I said, oh, it's a beautiful place. I've always wanted to go. And he said, it's great to visit, but he said, most people don't stay. And I said, well, really? You know, so I asked him, I said, why is that? And he said, physically, unless you stay in Anchorage or some of the lower cities, if you're much above that, the day-night cycle is so different up there that you'll have those times where you have, may have months where you really don't have much above dusk. It's a little bit daylight, but it's not that bright noontime sun that we're used to. And he said, if you're not born into that, it's very difficult psychologically for your body to adapt to that. And he said, so a lot of people will move up and they stay a couple of years and then they physically have to leave because their body just can't deal with the drastic changes, which I thought was interesting because I hadn't really thought about that. Well, you know, spiritually, the same thing happens to us. When we let night into our souls, our spirits begin to feel cut off. We find ourselves walking in fear and we find ourselves moved by the circumstances around us. And if left unchecked, we soon begin to speak and act absolutely no differently than anybody else in the world. Now, Scripture has a term for that. Jesus taught about it. He says, why put your light under a basket? You remember that passage? He says, you've got your lamp. It should go on a lampstand. You don't hide it under a basket. When we do that, what happens is we keep the light hidden not only from ourselves, but also from those around us. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 17, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So really, the choice is left up to us. You know, God's not going to choose for you. He's not going to make you do one or the other. He's going to give you recommendations in his word. But he lets us choose. Do we choose to live in darkness? Do we choose to live in the light that we've received? And where does that all start? That daily battle starts here, right? If you remember, and, and I'm looking out, most of you will remember this. There may be some who don't. My kids wouldn't have a clue about this. But back in the day with computers, you had the, the floppy disks, right, five and a quarter. You maybe even had the reel-to-reel -reel tapes that you put in. Um, but you had to program it, and you had to do a lot of manual typing. It wasn't just the point and click, right? So what you put into the computer is all it knew. So if you had the program on a disk, you put the disk in, you typed in your A prompt, you know, you, you did the whole shebang. We're no different. 
What we put in here on a regular basis goes down into here, comes out of here, and affects everything else around us. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I was telling the pastor earlier, if you're watching the news at all right now, I'm fairly sure there's absolutely nothing on that list that you're going to find in any news broadcast right now. At one time, you could put in, well, you know, they're telling true stories. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even sure I would go that far now. Uh, you know, everything is sensational. And, and I'll mention this as just an interesting thing that I looked up on my own. You know, right now, everything's about the virus. And it, it's all over the news. And while we should take it serious, we should take our precautions, we should walk in prayer and expectation that God is keeping us safe, uh, but we should still wash our hands, do the, do the things, the common sense things that God tells you to do. If you watch the news, what they've been telling you is they say new cases, total cases, number of deaths, and that's all you see. And every day the news is worse, the numbers are higher, this is terrible, look at this, it's awful pandemic. You hear all these words thrown out just like crazy, right? Well, I wanted to see, I said, okay, I want to see about recovery. I just want to see, because they're not talking about this at all, really, in the news. And so I looked up, and on Associated Press, now that's where most of the news gets their news from, right? That's kind of the general pool they pull from. There was an article, and this was four or five days ago. Over 70,000 people have recovered. In the majority, these words are theirs, not mine. In the majority of cases, symptoms were mild to moderate and consisted of low-grade fever and coughing. Bottom line, that's it. Now, does that mean we don't take it serious? No. Does that mean we don't, you know, again, common sense, maybe, you know, if you're older, if you have underlying health, you want to take precautions. But it also means we don't need to get involved in this national panic that seems to be going around and think it's the end of the world. I had a person come into work the other day, and he reminded me, and I hadn't thought about this, but if you remember back in 2009, the whole H1N1 thing that came out, the number of deaths were significantly higher than what we're seeing, even with worldwide totals right now, with corona. That was a much greater threat, and yet, I don't remember the media coverage being this saturated. So, you know, you have to be careful what you put in your mind, because if you just watch the news and you stay focused on these things, and the people you talk to are focused on those things, what happens? You're, you begin to fear. And your actions begin to reflect that fear, and it started here. Because we put it here, it works its way down into here, then it comes out here and in our actions. That's how God designed us. Okay, that's why he says we need to renew our minds daily because it's a daily struggle. It's a daily choice we have to make. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let's just stop right there for a second because... If you go back up in Ephesians chapter 5, right there at the end, it said, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now that's one I've heard a lot of people talk about, not only with this crisis, but with other situations. You know, some people say, well, it must be God's will. It must be the will of the Lord. You know, I, I don't think Satan needs help in causing death and destruction. My, my two cents, that's his job. God's job is to deliver us from that. I don't think they're trying to beat each other to, to wipe someone out first. I just don't. So, no, I don't think this is from God. I will stand here and say it all day long. I don't think this virus is from God. I don't think this is God's judgment. I don't think this is God's will. I think this is just another attack from the enemy because he's following his standard MO. That's what he does. 
So people say, well, what is the will of the Lord? We can't ever know it. Some denominations teach you can never know it. His ways are higher than ours. There's no way you can know God's will. You just have to kind of hang on and hope for the best. Well, if that's the case, then why does it say in Romans 12, 2, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, if we can't ever know it, how are we supposed to test and approve it? Right? So I think you can know it. I don't think you can know it if you spend time watching TV or, you know, not in God's Word, but you can know it. Matthew 15, 8 says, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these are what make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Doesn't that sound kind of like the weeknight lineup on television? <laughs> I mean, really. Look at most of the shows that are on TV. This is pretty much all the subjects that they deal with. And what does that say? That's what make a man unclean, for out of the heart come these things. That's the natural state of humankind. Before Christ, that's where all of us were at. We were all captives. We were all bound by sin and darkness. That's Ephesians 5.8, right? We're talking about that. When we accept Christ, though, we accept the light of the world. Now, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have to realize that's the first place you start. Because if you haven't made that decision, none of the rest of this is going to make any sense. You have to get plugged in before anything else. Again, if you think of the computer analogy, you can type on it all day long. And, and you may have heard this story. There was a person called into a call center one time, said their computer wasn't working. They said, I've tried everything. I've hit all the switches. I've, I've plugged everything. I've, I've checked everything on the thing. I've, I've typed all. It's just not doing anything. I can't figure out what's going on. And they were really confused that the tech person was working with them on the phone trying to figure out what was happening. And he says, well, I don't understand. You know, this is right. And finally they asked him, they said, is it plugged in? <laughs> and they checked. And sure enough, they, their foot had kicked the cord out of the wall. They put it back in. Now it works. That's the same way with us. Until we accept Jesus, we're not plugged in. You know, we're unplugged. We can't have anything come into us because we've got to start there. And in order to move into the day, we have to walk in the light. God's Word says what? It's a light unto my path. So it has to start here. Now, we have to dwell on that Word. And I'll tell you, this is one thing you'll find out. You spend any time in this book. Any problem that you have, any fear that you've got, any concern that you have, any need that you have, any healing that you need, whatever your issue, there is an answer for it in this book. Because if there's not, that means there was a problem that God forgot to cover. I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. <laughs> so every answer you need is in here. But if you don't spend any time in this book, you're never going to know. I crunched the numbers one time and I said, okay, let's just assume if all I did through the week was I opened my Bible when I was in church. And let's say maybe I was a good churchgoer. I was here at least twice on Sunday and I was here on Wednesday. And I was pretty consistent with that. I actually took it and calculated it out, given the waking number, sleeping number, every, every hour that you have in any given week from Sunday to Sunday. Looked at the average church times. If the only time you opened that Bible was the times that you're in this building, at the most, at the most, and this is assuming fellowship time, Sunday school time, every minute I could possibly cram into this, 2.5% of your time is spent in God's Word. You know, I don't think that's going to get the job done. And I think it explains a lot of reasons why when you talk to people, even your Christian friends, 
and they really don't sound any different about the world when they talk about stuff, maybe that's why. And that's not a judgmental saying. That, that's, again, that's biblical. If we don't renew our minds, God says this is what's going to happen. That's not judgment on it because I know I could probably improve things. We all could. And it's not to make somebody feel bad if that's all you're doing, but it should be a wake-up call that, you know, maybe, maybe instead of paying so much attention to the news, this is, is where we start. I asked the kids on a Wednesday night, we were talking about prayer and talking about God's Word, and I asked them, I said, okay, how many of you have time for television? How many of you have time for the Internet? How many of you are online? How many have time for sports? And all the kids are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got that. I said, okay, I think that means you've got time for God's Word. If you've got time for all this other stuff, you've got time for God's Word. It's interesting to me, and I'm getting a little off track here, but I, I think this just needs to be said. It's interesting to me that when we have a national crisis, so many people want to come back to God. When the times are bad, they come running in. It's panic. It's terrible. We've got to pray. We've got to do all this stuff. You remember after 9-11, I don't think there was an empty seat in any church in the country. Everybody was there. Within a month, we were kind of back to normal. I don't even think it lasted that long. Deep down, people know. And I think deep down, people realize, because again, we're spiritual beings, right? Deep down, people realize they have a need for God. But sometimes it's hard to, to turn loose and let go. Sometimes it's hard to get out of those habits and say, yeah, I need to draw closer to God. I need to strengthen this walk. And yet if we look around at our lives, would we say that we're blessed? Would we say that we have the things that we need? Would we say that we're at peace on a regular basis? If the answer is no, the solution's here. And, you know, sometimes we're stubborn, but if God gives us the answer, we need to walk in that answer. We need to move out of the night and move into the day. We already covered Psalm 91 this morning, so I'm going to not go through all that again. Uh, but I would strongly encourage you, if you're not reading that daily, and maybe you don't have a daily quiet time, or you're looking to expound it, start with that. That and Psalm 23 or two that I go to on a very regular basis, uh, especially when I see things like what's on the news right now, because it gives me a lot of peace and it gives me a lot of comfort, because it reassures me about what God's promises are. Now, one thing I will make mention of, uh, I said I wasn't going to go there, but we're going to go there for just a minute. I've got time. Will you bear with me just for a second? Psalm 91, one of the things that you need to look at is it's conditional. Okay? There's a lot of if this, then this. And as you go through that, I won't go through the entire thing, but it talks about how he's going to deliver you. He'll keep you safe from pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers. He'll, he'll watch over you. But look at the very first verse. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Dwelling and abiding, that means what? It's a permanence. Okay? If you're in that 2.5% or less, you're leaving yourself open to attack. It's not saying that God won't still keep you safe. He does. He has mercy on us. But one of the things God expects us to do is He expects us to grow. He doesn't expect us just to, to sit and stay in the same position, get saved, and just kind of wait for him to come back. He's given us a job to do. And the only way we're going to do that job is if we grow and if we learn. Imagine if you went to school in kindergarten, you started learning how to finger paint, you started learning how to do these things, and that was the extent of what you learned. And when you got into your 20s, someone said, okay, well, guess what? We have a position open as an engineer. We need you to go get to work. 
you're not going to be very successful. <laughs> Why? Because you don't know what you need to do when you're called upon to do it. God has a lot of work that needs to be done. Just walk outside and take a look at this world. You'll see it. It's everywhere. But if we don't spend time getting prepared, we're not going to be equipped to do that job. And we've got to take it serious because our enemy takes it serious. He's on 24-7. And we really can't afford to do any less. Because I'll tell you, if you look at things right now, the days are growing short. If you do turn on the news, I guarantee you watch it for a half an hour, and you can pull out all kinds of chapters from Revelation going on right now. Now, I'm not a real big eschatology guy, but I'll tell you, end-time stuff is going on. We've got wars. We've got rumors of wars. We've got famine. We've got drought. We've got all these issues, climate crisis. The whole world's falling apart. And what did it say? That was the beginning. Okay? So if you can imagine, like if I stepped off this platform right now, Jesus said, step off this platform. That's the it. We're right here. As a, as a world, we are right here. That's where we're at. We're that close. I honestly don't think I'd be surprised if before I finished this message, he called the plug and just said, that's it, we're done, we're going home. And I'd be okay with that. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. But it wouldn't surprise me. But we're there. And we have to take it serious that we're there as Christians. It's not enough just to come on Sunday. It's not enough just to occasionally. We've got to be ready to go and do work where we're called to do work. And even though it's hard and it's tough to think about stepping out and doing that, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that as Christians, as those who walk in the light, we live by faith, not by sight. Now that's very encouraging. Because you think about, well, what if, what if God called me to go to one of these places and start praying for people? You know, it's not unusual if you're visiting somebody in a hospital that you're sitting there waiting or whatever and you'll strike up a conversation with somebody and they need prayer. It's a great place. You may be at work and someone may be struggling, maybe having a hard time. You know, you never know. The thought about maybe if you're out someplace and somebody's not feeling good, would you lay hands on them? Would you do that outside of church? Well, they'd think I was crazy. Well, maybe. But if God tells you to do it, I think I would rather have them tell me that I was crazy than to have to answer for that when I get on the other side. You know, we, we can't, we don't have time to not be doing God's work right now. We just don't. And it's difficult uh, because it requires us to make difficult choices. But when we walk by faith, not by sight, and we spend time in God's Word, that means we're open to the Spirit's leading. And the more we step out of those comfort zones, the more we begin to do things for God that make an impact on this world. You know, it's not easy, necessarily, staring at a blank page and thinking about standing up here and saying, you know, God, who am I to say anything about your Word? I mean, I could pick out a half a dozen more qualified people just right here in this, this service right now. And God said, no, I want you to do it. I said, okay. And I have faith that he's going to get his message across, maybe in spite of the messenger. You know, as we go through, we look at that, we live by faith, not by sight. Other translations, in place of the word live, say things to make one's way, progress, 
and also to walk at large as proof of ability. And I think that one's amazing. There was a song that came out a few years ago that said that if we're the body, why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his feet going? And I think this may be it right here. We're supposed to, as a sign of our change on the inside, we're supposed to be stepping out by faith outside of these walls and ministering to the public. We're supposed to be doing these things for people. And, you know, I think a lot of times I know in my own life I've sat back and said, well, you know, if I've got a group or if I've got something I can do or be a part of, I'll, I'll help out. I'll, you know, maybe God will call you to do that by yourself. But it starts with our thought. Because, again, if we're thinking in the night and we're thinking, well, I can't do that, God. I'm not, I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. I can't. There's always going to be a reason why we can't do something. But if God tells us to do it, we have to just simply have faith that he told us to do it and that we can do it. And we step out and we do it and trust the results up to him. Now, again, if we're going to live by faith, that means we have to have faith, right? We've got to build that up. So Romans 10, 17 tells us where we get it. And I'll give you a hint, and you're not going to be surprised. Okay? Faith comes by what? By hearing. And hearing comes by the Word of God. So the real question for us really becomes, how much do we want to walk in the day? I mean, really. We make time for a lot of other things, but how much time do we make for God? And do we allow other things to push it out of the way? I know I have. And it's so easy to do. God, I'm going to get up at this time, and I'm going to, going to do a devotion. I'm going to make sure I'm on target. This is the time I get up every day. And what happens? Invariably, the night before, you know, maybe one of my kids is up half the night with something. They're crying. They're upset. My, my youngest daughter's teething right now. So, you know, me and her have spent a lot of good quality time together in the late hours. And, you know, maybe 5 o'clock rolls around. Well, I'm going to smack that alarm, sleep an extra hour before I have to, what, get ready for work. Now, we don't miss work. We're on time for work. We're always there when the doors open. We maybe even volunteer for overtime, but we're there for that. But are we there for the God? Are we there for the God who made us? And sometimes the answer is no. Now, God still loves us. But I think if we're trying to seek him, we're trying to spend time with him, God's also going to deal with us and say, you know, that's not okay. You can do better than this. And so maybe we get up and we lose a little sleep and we do what we're supposed to do. I'll tell you a funny thing about that. When I've done that, you know I've been less tired through the day. <laughs> and I can't explain it because I, I cut out caffeine. I can't even say it's because I'm drinking more coffee now. I, I've not had any caffeine in a long time. So I, I'm more alert. I'm more productive. And I would think, you know, God, I remember when I was in college, I'd pull these, you know, two and three hour not sleep thing and I'd be okay. But, but I'm not 20 anymore. Usually I do two or three hours of sleep now, and I'm not so, not so good in the afternoon. <laughs> but, you know, when I put my time first and I give God that time, I'm surprised. I get things done. And even as the evening starts to wind on, if things still need to be done, I've still got energy to do it. It's no different than tithing. You know, God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our 100%. And it makes no sense. But God is faithful. And again... Those are the things we do when we say we live by faith. It means we're living out what this word says. If it says we do it, we do it. And we don't question it because it's not going to make sense. But God will reveal it to you if you spend time with him. Isaiah 55, 6 tells us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. You know, we look around, the night can seem scary. 
It can seem very overwhelming. It can seem very oppressive. It can appear that it's never going to end. But all things have their season. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You know, when I read that passage, that made me think a lot about not just this past week with the, the loss that we've had at our church, but with a lot of relatives, loved ones that we've known that have gone on. And there are those times that we cry. And we weep with those who weep. And as Christians, we mourn with those who mourn. Because that's what we're supposed to do. But we also do it out of love for that person because we care. If we're truly trying to live like Christ, we have a genuine love and a genuine concern and care for those around us and what goes on with them. But we also praise God because rejoicing does come. You know, I think about Robin and the legacy that she's left at this church. Definitely going to miss her. I don't know, my kids miss her. You know, she made such an impact. She always had such a, a great smile, just a wonderful, loving heart. And I consider myself very privileged and very fortunate to have gotten to know her. But I also have rejoicing in my heart because I know that one day I'm going to see her again. As Christians, we have that blessed hope. And like Pastor said, she wouldn't want to come back. And nobody that's gone on would want to come back because they're where we're all wanting to be. Psalm 92.2 says, To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. I think it's interesting how a lot of the passages I found with this, they, they come from the Psalms, which, as many of you know, it's a, it's a book about music, right? So it's a book of lyrics. It was the songbook of the Bible. And this passage in particular really stood out to me because, you know, as Christians, we think, okay, well, we have God's divine protection. We have all these things. It's going to fall on one side or the other, and, and God does keep us safe. But we also go through those valleys. We also do have those dark times that we go through. But this one says, I'm going to proclaim your love in the morning. What? In the daytime. In the light, when things are good, when I can see, when things look like they're making sense. That's his love but I'm going to proclaim his faithfulness at night. In those night seasons when it's dark, when it seems like you're not sure how you're going to make it through, when you feel that oppressiveness, when you feel the enemy closing in, we're going to praise God for his faithfulness. Doesn't mean we're not going to have hard times in this world, because we are. Jesus told us we would. But it means we can have faith knowing that he's going to see us through them. He's going to get us from one side to the other. He's going to take us from that dark place into the light. We walk in the light as he's in the light. Wherever we're at right now, Jesus is with us. The big question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we dare to change our focus and put him at the center of our life? Because then the night doesn't seem so dark because you're focusing on the light. Think about it for a minute. If you're in a completely dark room and you couldn't see anything and someone just lit a match, even if it was hundreds of feet off, you'd see that light and be instantly drawn to it. It's how we're designed. You notice it. 
But honestly, we're in a bright room right now. How many can say in this bright room that you're paying too much attention to the shadows that are around you? Do they draw your eye the same way that a light would in a dark room? No. Why? Because you're not focused on the areas where there's not light. You're focused on the areas where there are light. And that's an exact connotation to what God does for us spiritually. When we're lost, we need Him. His Spirit draws us. We see that light in our spirit. He draws us to Him. And as we begin to walk in His light, we pay less attention to the darkness around us. Because if we have our lamp on a lampstand, light drives away darkness. You know, I'm always amazed at all these movies. Like, uh, I love Tolkien. I try to usually read the books at least once every year or two. And uh, there's a lot of Christian analogy in the Lord of the Rings series, if you've never looked at that. It's, it's kind of neat to do that. But the way they portray it in the movies, the special effects are great. But there was one scene, I think it was in one of the Hobbit movies, where uh, Gandalf is at this uh, Baradur. He's like this Tower of Darkness kind of thing. And he's got his little staff held up, and it's like this bubble of light that he's in, and these shadows are, are pounding away at it. And they show this darkness kind of pushing the light in and all this stuff. You know, it doesn't work that way. If you go back and look at Scripture, it's really interesting to see this because what does it talk about when we have our lamp? It says you put it on a lampstand, you don't put it under a bushel. There is no amount of darkness that can drown out light. Did you know that? The smallest light is always going to drive darkness away, and it does it fast. That's kind of cool. Darkness can never overpower light. Like I could never, you could never go in a place where it's so dark that you lit a match and the match doesn't work. You know, if there's oxygen, if there's a thing's present physically that you need to have a light, you can have a light and you're going to be able to see. There's not enough darkness to keep that away. But the way the devil comes at us is he says, oh, no, this is so bad. This is so much worse. There's no way you can overcome this time. Now, you look back at the children of Israel, and I used to scratch my head at this because I thought, and I did, I said it this way. I said, Dad, one time I asked him as a kid, I said, I don't understand why God picked the Israelites to be his chosen people. They had to be dumber than a box of rocks. I mean, think about it for a minute. You've seen, okay, I'm just trying to picture this. Now, I'm thinking of the Exodus because that, that's always been one of my favorite books of the Bible. So you've got these, these people, right? And then they're out in the desert. They're being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Okay, that in and of itself is pretty cool, right? I mean, I would love it if sometimes God would drop a big pillar of cloud and say, here's where I want you to go. I'm on it. I got it. I can see it. We're there. I would love that. But you got that. You got parting of the Red Sea. You got people that were slaves that had nothing before God blessed them and they plundered Egypt when they left. That was cool. They're leaving and people are giving them stuff. Here, here's my family heirlooms. Here's my gold. Here's my... All right. That's cool, right? They're going on this journey. The, the, the most powerful army starts chasing them. God opens the Red Sea, wipes out the most powerful army. And yet you read like a couple of paragraphs down and they're going, why'd you bring us out here to die? All hope is lost. We're doomed. Wait, what? Did you not just see any of this? And I'll never forget my dad's answer. He said, well, I think God chose them because they were representative of all the rest of us. 
Now, I remember not liking that answer much because then it puts me on the spot, right? Wait a minute. I, wait, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I would kind of, I guess I can see where I've done some pretty things kind of dumb like that too. But it all comes back to this part up here. We have to train our thoughts to move out of the night to move into the day. The only way we do that is God's Word. Now, I would encourage you to continue to keep up with current events. You know, don't become a hermit and stay hit off somewhere. You need to know what's going on around you, but I would encourage you not to stay plugged into the news 24-7. You know, I'm a big news guy. I love the news, especially politics. I, I, I probably could have politic channels on all the time. I, I love it. It's, uh, but, you know, I have to unplug from it. I give myself a little short window of time, scan some headlines, and that's it, and I cut myself off for the rest of the day. And I've been doing the same thing with this virus. I've been keeping up with the news enough to know, okay, what's going on? What does my family need to know? What do we need to be doing? What's relevant information? And then I turn it off. Because what I noticed is I watch the news, and I'm watching like a half hour here, half hour here on a daily basis. And, you know, I started to get a little concerned. And I started to feel, feel a little bit of that fear starting to creep up in me, and I thought, no. Mm -mm. We're not having that. Because I, I, this is my, my personal belief, and I think it is biblical, so I'm going to say it. I really don't think that you have got a middle ground. A lot of people like to think, well, you know, there's the church thing over here, and yeah, maybe the devil's attacking over here, and I just kind of want to hunker down somewhere in the middle and do my thing. There's not really a middle of the road. It's one or the other. And, you know, Jesus talks about people that are lukewarm, right? And he, he said, I'd rather you either be hot or rather you be cold than to be kind of in the middle. So for my part, I say, okay, that means I need to do my part and get renewed in God's Word. So I cut the news off, spent more time in here, and you know the funny thing? I noticed that fear went away. Now I'm not concerned about it. <laughs> And again, it doesn't mean that I don't take precautions. It doesn't mean that I'm not praying about it. It doesn't mean that I don't treat it as a, a, a real thing, because it is. We don't need to be foolish. But we also need to remember that as Christians, we're not necessarily bound by the circumstances we see around us. The circumstances that dictate reality for the lost don't apply to us. Because we have a God and he said, here are the things I will do for you. Here are the things you can expect. When we became saved, we entered into covenant relationship with him. And that's another study. If you're looking, if you're looking for studies, I'll give you a few here. A covenant relationship is one I encourage you to spend time. If you've never looked it up of what it actually really means, what it really is. It's a whole lot of, of you know, party A will do this, so party B will guarantee to do this. But there are guarantees, and in some cases it's party A will do this even when party B doesn't, because we've said we're going to do it. So even though we may mess up, God is always going to be faithful. He's always going to honor His Word. But when we step out in His Word, things like, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. There's not any middle ground for that. There's no exception to that. He doesn't say, I will not fear except when. You know, the coronavirus is on the news. Or I will not fear except when, oh, wow, there's this big military engagement going on. Or, or oh, global warming, you know, we may all not have any food. I will not fear. And that word will is important because that implies choice. God leaves it up to us. 
because you recognize that the Lord is on your side. You don't have to be afraid. But if you don't spend any time in here, you don't know that. You don't have that reassurance because we have to renew our minds daily. Again, remember, we're like computers. Goes in here, comes in here, comes out here and affects our actions. So as I close today, just I would encourage you, because again, I do think that we are living in the last of the last days. And I think that Jesus is calling all of us right now to take our Christian walk more serious than we've ever taken it before. Because there is going to come a time where he says, that's it. And I don't know about you, but if I look at my life right now, and I say, okay, God, if you pulled the plug right this minute, would I feel like I could stand in front of him and have him say, well done? I'm not really so sure. I think he'd be pleased about some things, yeah, but can honestly say I did everything that I could do? No. If I'm honest, I'm going to say, no, I haven't. But that doesn't mean that we can't change it with the time we have left. So we're going to close in prayer. And I'm also going to make mention of this, though, because like I said, it starts with that relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that, none of the rest of this makes any sense, and it's, it's not going to. You've got to have God's Spirit in you to reveal this, to make it make sense to you. So as we close in prayer, I'm just going to ask, if you've never made that profession of faith, if you've never said, you know, yeah, this, I need Jesus. I need him to come in and change my life. I'm not the way I need to be. And I want to be better. If you want to just lift up your hand, we will pray for you after the service. We'll be glad to talk with you about it. I'll be glad to introduce you to my best friend. Because he is the best friend you're ever going to have. And he will get you through more tough situations than you're ever going to know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are here today, God, that we are here during this time. Lord, we thank you that your word is true and that we know that we can count on it and we can depend on it. Father, most importantly, we thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. You saw us at our worst and you sent your best. And for that, we are eternally grateful, God. I want to open this time right now. If, if this is the time you feel God's spirit dealing with you and you've never made that decision, if you want to just slip up your hand, I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. But I don't think there's much time left. Jesus says that now is the time to come while he's near. Thank you. If you put your hand up after the service, if you'll come down, pastor will be here, I'll be here. We want to introduce you to our best friend. We want to get this taken care of today so that you know that you have that assurance that when you die, you'll be in heaven, that you'll be one of God's own. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we would take this opportunity, Lord, out of your word to not only heed the signs, but to, to do what it says, Lord, to spend more time in your word so that we can be more equipped, God, to do the work. Because you said, Father, that the fields are ripe, but the laborers are few. God, I pray that you would equip us and help us to do that work, Lord. Help us to bring others along. God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for 
the friendship, for the fellowship here. I thank you, Lord, for your protection. For those who aren't here today, God, I pray you would be with them, watch over them, keep them safe. And I pray, Father, that even though the devil's trying to bring up a storm with this virus and with all these issues and things going on, that we would keep our focus on you because you spoke to the storm and told it to be still. We can trust, God, that as you haven't changed, we know, God, that you will help us to be through on the other side, that we can tell it to be still in our lives and that we can make it through that other side clear and calm. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.